The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lang, Sean Martin. Joins me as always. You can find him on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Find myself on Twitter at The Real Mark Lane. Subscribe to Hidden Yardage Podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Write a review. Um, go ahead and give us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. And uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. Sean, how are you doing this week? Yeah, do all of the things as we uh, go through the doldrums of the offseason and push onwards towards training camp. You know, it kind of it kind of hit me, I guess, this afternoon or sometime this weekend, the sports dead zone we're about to go into with it looks like the Stanley Cup finals and the NBA finals are both going to wrap up fairly quickly. We don't know that quite yet, but both the Vegas Golden Knights and Denver Nuggets are a win away from ending the respective NHL and NBA seasons. So if that does happen and you know, the next game here with the NHL already playing and then the NBA ending potentially tonight, then yeah, sports dead zone where, you know, baseball takes the sign for a bit, but then everyone starts to turn their attention towards football, which we've already been on every week, of course. But yeah, with a short NBA and NHL playoff series, we're really getting to that point a lot quicker than usual sometimes. And so now it'll just be baseball and waiting for more football. And don't worry, folks, there's no doldrums here on the Hidden Yardage podcast. I don't care if it's June 29th and no one has even been suspended or fined for a performance (laughs) enhancing drug on the hidden yardage podcast we'll always have something to talk about we'll compare uh the uh guards on the roster to our favorite flavors of microwave popcorn we will never run out of anything there are no doldrums when it comes to the Hidden Yardage podcast, because it's all in the name. So that's why you have to stay subscribed. And also... You got to go for the extra butter popcorn, by the way. All the flavors are Yeah, I mean, I, I when I go to the movie theater, I love getting the extra butter on the popcorn. Otherwise, really, even if it may be a film I want to go see, what am I even doing yeah. there? It's the whole experience. I think the last movie I saw in theaters is probably Top Gun, so I'm not like the frequent moviegoer. I'll probably make it out for this Oppenheimer movie coming out. But yeah, Top Gun, you know, it's the whole experience. And hey, I don't know if this is a, just a Texas thing or if you have lived this in the South as well, but uh, the movie theater I went to for Top Gun, I even had a 
like margaritas and um, alcohol menu and beer you could get, which is a new experience to me. We certainly didn't have that up north. So, yeah, full movie-going experience complete with if you if you would like to imbibe a uh, alcoholic beverage as well. Well, I, I think that may be because of the popularity of a particular establishment named after a well-known battle in right. uh, Texican, I mean, Texas independence. I think it may be kind of like a um, an offshoot or a copycat thing because of that particular establishment in Austin. But yeah, they, I think they are permeating throughout the South, but they definitely got them all over Texas. They had them in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, in the early 2010s. So, I mean, that's definitely going on. Um, but the doldrums of the off season, I think who, where it would really affect someone would not be our audience. I think it could affect the players. Here's what I'm talking about, Sean. So the New York Jets, rather, they are not having mandatory minicamp this week because they start training camp a week early because they're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame game this season. So they decided, well, no use to have a minicamp. Let's just go ahead and wait for training camp. Have the customary, you know, six weeks of layoff. But with the Cowboys, I mean, they're done. Because of those missed OTAs due to the, um, you know, fine, if you will, from going too hard in last year's OTAs, they lost OTA days this year, which is why they had their mandatory minicamp early. So now that they're done and they're not reporting till late July, I mean, that's almost two months. Does that type of layoff concern you with this team? It doesn't for me personally. You know, it concerns coaches, I'm sure, as a coach, your number one thing. And you wish you could be with the players every day, you know, holding their hands at times if you could to uh, make sure they're doing the right thing. But this team has the right mixer, veteran leadership. They have the right focus as far as falling short to the exact same team, the 49ers, in the playoffs two years in a row. I mean, that's all the motivation they need to know where this thing can go, know that opportunities don't always come up like this. So the fact that they've consistently fallen short, but they know that they have everything it takes to take that next step, I don't think the layover is going to change anything with that. I think we'll see you know, a focused team come back out there for training camp and be able to get back to work. Mini camp and OTAs were so toned down anyway. You have teams that p- passed on it, teams that canceled, teams that you know, barely used it to even do much of anything. When it comes to minicamp, the Cowboys were, can be included in that. You know, all reports of out of minicamp was that they barely even, you know, did anything resembling football as much as you're allowed to anyway. So, yeah, I don't worry too much about this current layover. It's something that other teams are going through as well. And, you know, by the time we can actually talk about them on the field again, it'll be nice to do it in the context of being able to get back to real football activities, finally have a real discussion about this offensive line once the pads come on, finally get a closer look at some of these receivers that have been showing out pretty well and some of the ways that Dan Quinn is lining up the defense. So plenty to talk about once they are back on the field. But between now and then, I don't see any type of distractions or the long layoff being an issue. They got the right leadership. They got you know, a coaching staff that's locked in on what this year can mean as far as the transition of the team, and they'll be back out there focused in no time. I think if this were earlier in Dak Prescott's career, not so much 
an indictment of his, you know, makeup because I think Dak Prescott as a rookie, you know, would lead the offseason workouts and all that, and the long layoff wouldn't bother him at all. But I'm just talking about periods of time earlier in his career. Um, I think it would be a problem. Uh, 2017, I don't think that particular team would have been able to handle it. Um, 2018, I don't think they would have been able to handle it. But you just get the sense with the mix of veterans just up and down the roster with those corner locker rooms um, with Dak, with Tony Pollard, who we'll talk about a little later, with um, Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, Demarcus Lawrence. You have kind of these enforcers at every level of a position group to where you just don't feel like anybody's really going to be messing around too much. If anything, there'll probably be a lot of collaboration with some guys going to the Dak yard. Um, and that's something that Mike McCarthy referenced was to hear the coaches tell it because of how little work you can actually get done even in the building during off-season workouts. It really has to be player ownership of the team that pushes you over the top. If your players aren't buying in and leading this thing themselves, holding each other accountable, you're just, you're just not going anywhere. And I think that Dallas, they have crossed that particular threshold. Now it's just kind of like whether or not, you know, the play calls and injuries and so forth that affect every team throughout a season, you feel like that is more of a hindrance on them when they go through a 17-game campaign, not particularly they're buying into the system. And I wonder how much of, you know, Mike McCarthy's offensive install can be kind of accomplished and worked on during this doldrum period or during this slower period. You know, what the players are doing workout-wise and with their bodies doing this time, that'll come out pretty quickly in training camp. It's hot out there in California. We all know that. And, you know, that'll come out for players not in shape fairly quickly. But as far as this team finally having a new offense and moving on from Kellen Moore's scheme, which everybody was familiar with, you know, does the playbook work? Does that continue to get done at this point? And can you really make a difference in that so that you're not starting from a lesser point at the start of training camp? Of course, they've already done some of this install work during the mini camp and OTAs, but can they pick up and build off of that even more, knowing that the players spent some of this offseason part, you know, continuing to learn it and put their head in the playbook as well? Or is it going to be kind of a, you know, you put the textbook on the shelf for summer vacation and don't, you know, don't dust it off until the week of the finals type of thing. So we'll see what that can mean as far as where this offense is and how confident they are that that won't be a hurdle for them to cross as far as having to waste too much time, you know, on the install and the nuances and falling behind in the sense of not being able to actually get the reps and play and just develop players that way. So it's kind of something they need to just put away and then be able to move on with. And of course, we'll see it on the field in the regular seasons when we really need to evaluate it and make the adjustments from there. But as far as just the basic install process, it's already been ongoing. Now it's on pause, but I do wonder 
if during this pause period, if you can actually accomplish quite a bit for the players that are willing to get into the playbook and go on it at the backyard or what have you that way. And one player that McCarthy referenced as being a leader uh, throughout this process has been Tony Pollard. Um, what did you make of the talk of Tony Pollard emerging as a leader in the running back room? Did you take it like, oh, well, now that Ezekiel Elliott is finally out of the way, <laughs> Tony Pollard can emerge as a leader? Or did you just kind of see it like... Who was that supposed to be? <laughs> the Ezekiel Elliott haters in my mind. Um, but... Or did you just see it more like, hey, he's the old guy in the room. Uh, no disrespect to Ronald Jones, of course, is the old guy. But um, did you just see it kind of like that to where he is the accomplished back on this team and it's just kind of like his, the mantle is falling upon him? Yeah, I think it kind of helps put the vest in the final nail in the coffin, if you will. Maybe that's slightly too harsh, but I think it puts the rest you know, in the final conversation that people can have about why it would make sense to bring Ezekiel Elliott back. It's like, oh, well, you need him for this, and then you can point to someone else on the roster that can do that, and oh, you need him for this, and you know, leadership was kind of that last unseen, at least on the field, of course, thing that we knew the team was getting from Ezekiel Elliott, but you didn't know, you know if they had the need to replace it foremost, and then if they were going to replace it with anyone that they currently have in the backfield. So now that we're hearing that Pollard can be maybe not the exact same type of leader, but still that type of player, and McCarthy said he has a commanding presence, has done a tremendous job with the young players. I'm glad he brought up Ronald Jones because you know he's certainly the veteran of this group when it comes to rushing attempts. He has 505 in his career. So if you add his 505 to what else the Cowboys have outside of Tony Pollard, Malik Davis is 38. Rico Dowdle has seven. That's 547 split between three running backs. And really the bulk of that is just all Ronald Jones as a veteran who spent the beginning of his career with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Tony Pollard has 510 career carries. So, I mean, he is the guy when it comes to any experience in this room. And so not only did Ezekiel Elliott kind of lead a room that didn't necessarily need it. You know, it was a room where everyone across the entire organization and the fan base was on the same page that he was going to get the bulk of the carries. And yeah, you needed Pollard behind him and you still needed other contributions and depth and what have you all there. But it was still a given that, you know, regardless of what Ezekiel Elliott was doing, he was going to be the lead back on Sundays. And that was established. So now Pollard still expects to be that lead back type of player, but for the first time in a long time, there is an actual need in the running back room for, you know, someone that can lead them through this transition and lead them through what it's going to look like, you know, if Pollard misses time or anything like that. So yeah, it's, a, it's an immediate need that he's certainly seemed to step into and he's stepping into a bigger role in the backfield as well. So everybody's very excited about what that can look for, look like for Tony Pollard when it comes to, you know, more of the intangibles that they, that they lost out on, when they decided to move on from Ezekiel Elliott, and it sort of seems like he's yet again filling those shoes nicely. And now, like I said, owning the playbook uh, throughout the rest of the offseason with this Cowboys offense, hopefully reports the training camp on top of things, which it sort of seems like he will and can go from there as far as what his role and Mike McCarthy's offense is going to look like, which could be a lot more versatile than it was when he was kind of the lead back at times last year, but they didn't fully pull the curtain back on it being Elliott. So now that curtain is gone, and he can be not only your featured player on the field, but what he's doing in the locker room is important. And, you know, the Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott connection was important too. We can only hope that we see something somewhere between Dak and Pollard and that type of friendship and connection on the field for him as well. 
Yeah, and I'm sure it will. What's crazy about Ezekiel Elliott um, not having a home, so to speak, is mm-hmm. he's number three in the NFL for total scrimmage yards since 2017 with 9,630. It's crazy to think he was that productive because it seemed like since 2018, the whole thing that was said about him was, oh, he's past his prime, he's over. Yeah, we, I know we've talked before about, you know, when we expect him to potentially sign with a team. And, yeah, certainly it continues to look like it's going to take, a, you know, an injury or teams really being down on what they have at running back after getting a really long look at it, you know. We thought maybe, oh, they'd get a look during minicamp and think we need somebody like him to give him a call. And then we thought OTA, somebody would get that look. And now every team's extending that into training camp to see what they have in the backfield before they consider Ezekiel Elliott signing. So at this point, yeah, you know, I wasn't surprised all through previously him being signed. But at this point, starting to get into that territory where, yeah, it's a bit surprising he hasn't found the team. But as far as relating it back to the Cowboys, it does point to you know them making the right decision, at least in the line of, being in the right line of thinking with the rest of the league that his best days were behind him and it's the right idea to move on with Tony Pollard and uh, Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle, Ronald Jones, Deuce Vaughn, whoever that's going to seek out behind Pollard. You know, they made this decision knowing that it was, the immediate need was going to have to be Pollard to step up and he already did last year in sharing the touches with Elliott and now most of those t- touches will be his. And with him signing his franchise tag, and being available throughout the off-season workouts, you see that buy-in and that it's his team. And I don't think – I think he's betting on himself. And he'll see whether or not he gets that second contract with Dallas or if he has to go elsewhere. But you just kind of see that – He's putting his business on the football field, whereas Elliot kind of understood just how everything worked with the Cowboys and the contracts, running back valuation in the NFL, and that he needed to get that money early. I saw a guy downtown Austin last night for the Ezekiel Elliott uh, so, so Josie, you know, just a Elliott, 21 in the back, but not the full Josie, just the T-suit. So, shout out to that guy still living through the uh, Ezekiel Elliott days. I feel like we draw a hard line with, like, what throwback, not, you know, true throwback, but, like, what former player Josies are acceptable. You know, because I have, like, a Tony Romo Josie. You know, like, I feel like that's still fine to wear. But, like, other, you know, where do we draw the line of, like, positions and players that you should stop wearing after they're not off the team? I feel like running back is enough of a is one where you can still wear throwbacks. And it's certainly like an Emmett Smith jersey would be cool, right? So, like, if you can wear Emmett Smith, Elliot hasn't been gone from the team for that long, but I feel like you can wear Elliot still, too. So, fair play to that. But, yeah, you bring up, you know, Pollard putting his business on the field and to go further on what, you know, his role could look like in McCarthy's offense. And then we've talked about it from the passing game perspective without really looking at the running backs too much in that equation. We've talked about, you know, these tight ends and how good they are in the intermediate routes and how Shoemaker can fit that. We've talked about the types of routes these receivers are going to run and how that could help Jalen Tolbert, who's already getting good reviews again. So he's in a better place going into year two and Brandon Cooks and what that addition could mean. So 
we haven't really talked about what that means for the running backs, but you go back to you know a game like the Vikings game where Pollard just tore it up both on the ground and made the big back-breaking plays against the Vikings defense through the air on that wheel route touchdown and some other big plays. So the opportunities are going to be there for Tony Pollard, and it's more of this modern you know usage of the NFL running back where every team wants to have a guy that they can say, oh, can touch it as many times as Pollard can. He can make all the plays in the backfield, catching the ball as well. Every team wants to have at least one of those guys. The Cowboys have one and then hope for much more than that. I mean, they saw Malik Davis potentially be that type of guy as second or at worst a third running back. They have hopes for Deuce Vaughn, of course. Ronald Jones is an established vet that you can put on the field for third down, pass blocking, things like that. So, you know, this idea that no other team has wanted to move to sign Ezekiel Elliott can only be discussed in the sense of, you know, what other teams have in the backfield, but the Cowboys should feel great about what they have in their stable running backs. And I'm personally just really excited to see how McCarthy's offense, you know, utilizes them and the roles they can find for all these guys to get the most out of them, especially the most out of Pollard and being able to throw the ball to him and get him out there on those routes. I mean, even Elliott at times when the Cowboys were down bad at receiver, Elliott was like the guy who would just go walk out there at receiver like, screw it, I'm going to go make a play. And so he would be that guy, even though it was out of position. Pollard can be way more in position if you need to use him as that slot type of receiver, what have you. Well, one place where Ezekiel Elliott wasn't able to say, oh, screw it, I'll do it myself, is um, as a down lineman blocking, you know, in the playoffs against the San Francisco 49ers. But the good- His last ever snap as a cowboy was at center. Yeah. Like, what's, wor- what's worse, that or remembering Emmett Smith played for the Cardinals? I know that's like a taboo thing for Cowboys fans to not want to bring up. So what's worse? <laughs> Emmett playing for the Cardinals. but who's going to be playing for Dallas this season across the offensive line. You got Tyron Smith, Tyler Smith, Tyler Biotich, Zach Martin, Terrence Steele. But which of these position groups actually has you feeling a little bit anxious? For me, it's right tackle because I think, you know, they have kind of a log jam at left guard and that's the pressure point that's been talked about almost too much at this point. But yeah, left guard, you know, I do like the idea still of Tyler Smith being able to play there. That would take a level of trust in Tyron Smith to hold up at left tackle, it seems, at least in one scenario. It would take that level of trust to where you need a backup plan, and the most tangible backup plan is probably kicking out Tyler Smith at that point, and then you fall right back into, well, we have all these names, but none that are really proven at left guard. But I do think someone will emerge from that group. You know, I'm high on the potential that Matt Farniak has. I even like fifth-round pick Kasim Richards is, uh, you know, collegiate tackle again that they could work their magic on and they seem to do so well converting these tackles to guard just last year being an example. So I think Richards could even play his way in just one training camp into that conversation depending on how injuries fall and things like that. So I think it's right tackle where we don't know quite yet if Terrence Steele is going to be ready. And so if he's not, does Tyron Smith then, you know, be forced into the right tackle spot, which almost in turn forces Tyler Smith to be a left tackle. And before you can even look at him at left guard, you're down to those options. So I think it's right tackle just because not necessarily that they won't find serviceable play there, even though it seems harder 
the, with the depth they have right now than it would be at left guard. But I think the dominoes just don't fall as nicely when it comes to some of the suffering you have to do if you don't have the right tackle spot sort up. And it takes away the, the ability to put Tyler Smith on left guard, which I still think is his best position. So for me, based on this Terrence Steele news that he might not be quite ready or his recovery isn't going as well as maybe it could have been right now, it's right tackle. And, and who talked about that? By the way, with Terrence Steele. But, I mean, we'll see. We still got training camp. You know, we'll see what happens. He may start out on the pup list, which is no big deal as far as training camp goes because you can come off at any time. It's the regular season that that's a big deal, and you're caught there for eight weeks to start the season. But um, uh, for me, it's center because you had Connor McGovern – who was able to play in place of Tyler Biotic for the last six quarters of the regular season, which, eh, you know, whatever, I mean, it's fine. And they already knew they were going to play Tampa Bay for the last four weeks of the season. So who cares? But Tyler Biotic, um has played a complete 17 games just once in his career, which was 2021. Um, In 2020, he had a uh, hamstring strain during pregame warm-ups. I'm not saying he's soft. I'm not saying he's injury-prone or anything like that. I'm just saying that things happen. So if McGovern were here, well, just bring in Connor McGovern. But now... What does your interior offensive line shuffling look like? And you see some of that already with, well, what can Josh Ball do? What can Asim Richards do? What can um, Matt Willetsko do? And it's just that it's center for me specifically. It's the interior offensive line as a trio in terms of what just engenders the most anxiety. And I, th- I think... Like, who in the world is Brock Kaufman? I mean, looking at the Cowboys' depth chart at center, and you're, you're on to something there. It's like, he's your backup. They even have him listed above Alec Lindstrom, who I know is a kind of fan favorite, you know, good story to potentially make the team. But at this point, not a guy you want to see play a ton of snaps. So it's like, who's Brock Kaufman? That's your contingency plan for Tower B. Otis? Exactly. So that's, but, but you also have uh, what McCarthy talks about with the your game day rosters and the versatility of your offensive line there. So what, Brock Hoffman, he's a great center, but he's terrible at guard. So if you get in a pinch where he's having to replace Zach Martin, I mean, are you going from like a 95 in the Madden ratings to 55 here or what? So it for me, it's center and just the overarching interior offensive line. I think they'll be fine at their skill positions, tight end included, tackle even. But it's that interior offensive line that I think could cause some problems. And for, you know, as far back as before Dak Prescott and before Mike McCarthy, Jerry has always talked about the importance of interior offensive line and keeping the front of the pocket clean and how much they value that. That was during the Tony Romo days 
with valuing him, you know, stepping up. But that really just goes for any quarterback or any team. And, you know, you hear in baseball, you want to build down the center first. You want catcher, pitcher, center field, important positions to get right when you're just starting out, making a roster and going through a rebuild, what have you. So off, interior offensive line is the same thing for NFL teams. Of course, we've been spoiled at right guard for so long now with Zach Martin. So that's not, still not really a position you have to worry about. I know he's getting up in age. He's missed a little bit of time here and there. But we're not at the point yet where you worry about Zach Martin on game day. You know, If he's out there, you know what you're getting at right guard. And it's as good as anybody in the league still. So, yeah, it is the left guard and center spot. And you want that front of the pocket to be clean for Prescott. You want you know, the run game to still be able to forest with Pollard and running between the tackles and things like that. So yeah, until your offense on, we haven't had a question of right guard in a while. We still don't, but now we have one more so at center like you're out on there and at left guard. There's a ton of names you can either throw at it or you can just play hey, Tyler Smith, like I said. And I think Tyler Smith at left guard really is their best option. It just it just gives you some worry at both tackle positions if he's not immediately starting a left tackle knowing that he's your contingency playing there, but if he's not starting there what do your tackle positions look like? And then it kind of just comes down to uh, in this Texas Coast offense, which, by the way, I think is a new one of the new coolest football terms of all time. I know it's a ton of recency bias right there, but in the pantheon of football terms, and we did a whole bit in season one on, you know, crusade ones, but Texas Coast is great. So in this Texas Coast offense that McCarthy is installing, you know, usually you're not asking your tackles to pass set too deep and the ball's coming out quickly. So, what do you value more, having tackle player or the interior offensive line sort up? We'll find out. They, you know, of course, think they have the names to have all the positions be played at a high level. They want Tyron Smith to really be a part of this, of course. And for how many games that'll be, nobody knows. But the backup plan is being worked on. So they want all five on the offensive line to be their best five and capable starters at the very least in front of Dak Prescott. But if it comes down to it, you know, where do you want your true strength for this unit to be on the interior or a tackle? And, there's an easier path, I think, to it being on the interior um, as long as you're okay with kind of the musical chairs that that creates a tackle as long as you go. Tyler Smith, LF guard, be honest at center for as long as he can hold up and then Martin at right guard. And all of this plays into something that I think really hindered the Dallas Cowboys last season. And that's their first and second down efficiency I think they need to get better at what they're able to do on those first two downs so that third down doesn't even really matter and I know they went for it on fourth down that was just kind of like an automatic type of thing but I mean there were four and outs that they faced it was largely due duh, to their first and second down inefficiency yeah, I looked at some sharp football stats, and you know, over the McCarthy era, they've actually been the fifth worst first down rushing success rate team. And success rate basically comes down to, you know, this yards to go, and are you accomplishing enough yards on that given play to create another favorable situation on the next down? So it factors all that in. So fifth worst first down running success team in the McCarthy era, sixth best in passing, which points right to something we all know is a part of Dak Prescott's game that's been good, but they, that they've leaned on too much, at least when it was Kellen Moore's offense. And that's him you know, having to bail you out on third down and tight window throws and those types of things. So that's what that points to there. And then 12th best in second down runs so middle of the pack and exactly 12th best as well in second down passing. So what does that lead to as far as how you're doing on first and second down and what it means for 
the money down, third down, where they actually they've been the fourth worst in third and seven plus yards passing success in the McCarthy era. So you think of those third and mediums, third and longs that you want to stay out of. They're not doing the best job they can by staying out of it because their first and second down efficiency is either middle of the pack or well worse than that. And it leads to too many third downs that you have to get bailed out on, which even at a rate that, you know, you could see higher, be higher. They're not at that point, fourth worst in third and seven. And then even defensively, I was surprised by some of these as well, but fourth and third down running success, which points to, okay, you're doing a good job on first and second down, you know, getting teams into harder distances to run on, on third down, you're getting them in the third and short issues that entice them to run, but then you're being stout against it. But ninth worst in the pass and seventh worst in third and seven plus yards passing success. So actually not as good of a job as you would, potentially think in Dan Quinn's defense of, you know, being able to force teams into those third and longs and out of favorable third downs. It just happens to be when they do face a third and down running situation, they're standing up pretty well, but that's a really niche situational type of thing that masks the, you know, greater issue that this defense has had. So I know I talked about it last week as far as kind of the boil down way that this team wants to play this year to be efficient and their path to winning games is to be efficient enough on offense to be in third and sorts and let these crossing routes and these check down type throws really thrive. To be ahead of the chains on offense and force teams behind them on defense, you can deploy all this depth that they have at pass rush, which is the overwhelming strength of not only the defense, but probably the roster. So there's room for improvement on both of those fronts, actually. And it's right there for the taking if they can just improve some of these efficiency numbers. And I think that's the difference that we could be looking at for this team to be even better in 23. Well, you know, a man by the company he keeps. In the Cowboys last season, they produced 4.9, yeah, you know, total yards uh, on their first and second down plays. That's tied for the ninth worst in the NFL. And they were the only playoff team in the bottom 10. I mean, it kind of reads like the draft order, for goodness sakes. The Rams, (laughs) Pittsburgh, Arizona, Houston, Indianapolis, Denver, the Jets, Washington, Dallas, and then Chicago. Compare that to who's owned Dallas. Well, not you know, broken their hearts the last two seasons. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers, they were tied for fourth best with the Seattle Seahawks, oh, wow, magical Seattle. What are, how are they doing this? It's unbelievable with Geno Smith now when you get 5.6 yards uh, com, you know, with your first down and second down efficiency tied for the fourth best in the NFL. Well, it's not really that much of a mystery. And again, this kind of reads like the playoff um, participants uh, from last season. Number one, Buffalo, Kansas City, Miami, Seattle, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Detroit, Green Bay, New Orleans, Baltimore. So if they, if Dallas can get better at what they're doing on first and second down offensively, I think that will go a long way. And it really kind of takes, I don't know, for me, the, you know, the magic away from all of those fourth down attempts. I mean, they were having to do it because they were so inefficient on first and second down that that's why they were having to go on fourth down so much. So, you know, you got to give it to them for being aggressive, 
But why were they having to be aggressive? If they could not get to that point, that would be better. And I think the casual fan doesn't quite understand the level of scouting and how intense it is that goes on at the NFL level. I mean, the second that you're in a situation that you know, you've already shown in a previous week and it's on tape, or even you know the second time it comes up in the game, and that could be both on your first series or your first quarter action, the second you're you know dealing with something that the defense has already seen or flip that to you know what your defense has seen, Coaches are alerting everything, players are communicating it, and they know what's coming. And we know that's already been something that's talked about a lot with the Cowboys offense as far as how it held up throughout a 17-game season in the past couple of years. But even just in game-to-game and you know snap-to-snap, quarter-to-quarter type things, if you're not playing efficient enough on offense to where you could be in the looks you actually want to be in and haven't been scouted as much because you're calling you know, your top play for each situation and you're in favorable down and distances, if you're not able to do that, then... Yeah, it just creates havoc as far as what's been scouted against you and what teams know is coming. And I don't think fans realize just how much harder it, you know, it gets to create anything on offense and how much, you know, some of this is credit deserved Dak Prescott's way. You know, how much he deserves credit for being able to bail you out of some of these situations because, you know, defenses know what's coming at a certain point when you're behind the chains and you only have so many plays you can call. And he still finds a way to complete the ball, you know, at, at a success rate that's above where this team really should be. So, yeah, this offense does need to be more efficient. They need to find ways to, you know, stay in their play calls, trust McCarthy's play calls as a way to sustain drives and more of a short passing game than I think we're going to see. So if they can do that, they'll be, you know, they might not spike up the charts in big first and second down gains, but at least they'll be in favorable situations on third down and be able to stay ahead of where they need to be as opposed to getting nothing on the ground on first down and then almost, being in a predetermined situation where you know you're going to be facing a third and six, third and seven, and how many plays do you really have ready on game day for that situation that the defense doesn't know is coming? It's not many. You know, by the first quarter, you could be already out of those types of plays. So as long as you can live in your third and threes, third and fours, and run the same thing you just ran on first down to convert, that's where this offense needs to be this year, and that's what I think is you know tangible for him. We just got to see how some of these receivers and the tight ends develop to be a part of the passing game that can get them those first down gains. What is you know Brandon Cooks' role going to look like? What is Tony Pollard's role in the passing game going to look like? Not too much longer until we really see how that's going to manifest to Mike McCarthy's offense. Well, staying out of third down is a good thing. Also, Dallas they were tied with the Browns for six most third down attempts last season with 231, kind of reads like yeah. the draft order a little bit, but not really. Cause that top 10, the Chargers are number one with 257. Then you got the Buccaneers, Jets, Steelers, Cardinals, Cowboys, Browns, Washington, Denver, Indianapolis. And then who had the least? Well, that's a tie between the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills with 193, although – Kansas City's 193 was through a full 17 games, whereas the Bills was 193 through 16. And Peyton Manning said it best on one of the Manning casts, you know, the goal of an offense, at least his offenses, and any good one is, you know, first down, second down, first down. That, that sounds so simple, but it's true. You want to avoid third down. I know Cowan had a quote uh, sometime this last year of, you know, really being the direct opposite of that, he said, you know, something along the lines of the goal of an offense being to get to third and manageable. And, like, it sounds like, you know, if your goal is to get to third and manageable, you're already scheming offense wrong and you're thinking about offense wrong because one of the all-time great quarterbacks says it should be first down, second down, first down, and never even 
think that you have to get the third down. Of course, that's unrealistic from the standpoint of you're going to face third downs and do you have a quarterback good enough to convert them? The Cowboys already know they do, but can they get them in more first down, second down, first down situations where the offense is moving that efficiently as opposed to facing potential drive enders at a league at a, at a rate that's you know near the top of the league? Well, you also have to have an offense, the tumming of which Peyton Manning's were because, you know, eh. but um, otherwise I, it's – kind of a recipe for three and out if that is your focus just in general of first down second down so I can kind of see the logic of what Kellen Moore was saying with the third manager but that's the thing is it's like dude there are too many castle anymore like (laughs) this the offense is there shift the philosophy now, there were just too many games we were all collectively screaming at our TVs, like, stop running on first down. It was just, you know, the yards weren't there, and they were just continuously just slamming their head against this wall, not gaining those first down rushing yards. And just basically, you're giving the defense a free play. I mean, it was easy to stop. It was easy to line back up on second down and know a long pass is coming, and then it's easy to get off on third down. So don't make anything easy on the defense. That should be another kind of cliche type of overarching big picture goal for this offense going into this year. You know, make them de- defend every blade of grass. I've always liked that one. And I think they'll do a better job of that as far as the motion spacing of the offense as well. So you put all that together and yeah, one of the stats that we should be keeping an eye on as far as if McCarthy's offense is actually working or not, is absolutely first and second down efficiency. Yeah. And we'll have to get to that next week um, with the Kelvin Joseph thing. Oh, I'm teasing next week is um, also just the football pat phrases that we love so much because that's one is take what the defense gives you. Like what a middling type of philosophy (laughs) and life in general of, well, take what your boss gives you. Take what the teacher assigns (laughs) you. Yeah, I think John Gruden had a better way of putting the take what the defense gives you. You His spin on it, which I've liked, is – forgot which quarterback he was working with at the time, but he mic'd up, was mic'd up and said, uh, you'll never go broke, ticking and profit. I learned that one a long time ago. So that's a better way of looking at, you know, take what the defense gives you. Is If there's a completion to be had, you know, go for it and take your check downs, know where your check downs are, and you're not going to go broke, take you some positive yards and a profit. Well, let's go ahead and get to the Cowboys' birthdays, and then you ask uh, where on Jersey Nathan Jones was born, played cornerback for Dallas, from 04 to 07, turns 41 years old on Tuesday, from Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Where is that in terms of pork roll versus Taylor Ham? It's well in the uh, Taylor Ham zone, because one of the first people I met on my college campus uh, went to high school in Scotch Plains, and uh, I think he was one year ahead of me, two years, something like that, but we were good friends throughout college, uh, you know, taught me a lot in the TV, radio industry stuff is that we both came up in, and so yeah, he's from Scotch Plains, and uh, so along with Nathan Jones, probably calls it uh, Taylor Ham up in the north part of the state. And would he believe in central Jersey, or no? Uh, probably not. I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not, which is also unfortunate. So. All right, and then on Wednesday, Rico Dowdle turns 25 years old, and really for him, I mean... This is it, bud. It's this or it's, um, you know, having to sell NFTs next year. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to change his profile picture on Twitter to something ridiculous. It's apparently worth, you know, more than our net worth combined on a Hidden Yards podcast. But, 
yeah, Dowdle is a guy that, you know, kind of has like a weird little niche following in the fan base as far as like fans that don't think he's gotten a fair shot. And then certainly they've stacked it up against him again this year because Deuce Vaughn is going to get a real opportunity here. And, you know, Dowdle at the very least should prove that he's ahead of him with Vaughn being a rookie. I know he's a rookie coming in with a good story and stuff, but that doesn't mean anything once the pads and helmets come on. It's about what you do on the field. And so at minimum, Dowdle should be able to prove that he's ahead of where Deuce Vaughn is, but then, you know, a veteran like Ronald Jones and then, Tony Pollard looking ready to just take the bulk of that and push all these running backs down, to, you know, down as far as their usage and how much they need to see the field. Malik Davis as well. So, yeah, it is a tough spot for Dowdle, but when he is out there, which is very limited, he does flash some potential, and it's a position that they always commit numbers to. They're not going to ever go into a season short at running back. and So the death is going to be there. Whether or not Dowdle is a part of that is to be determined. And then on Saturday, turning 29 years old, Amari Cooper, he's with a team from – 2018 to 2021 and really kind of demonstrating why the Cowboys had to kind of get out ahead of getting past the Amari Cooper era because, you know, he's a receiver turning 29 years old, always looks stupid at the time. Sometimes it is stupid. Um, Like when Houston traded DeAndre Hopkins. But with the Cooper one, I don't feel like they really – Missed that much. I know every time Dak Prescott threw a pass and before the laces could leave his fingers, there were a thousand tweets saying this offense regrets not having Amari Cooper. And every time Amari Cooper just took a step, you know, out of his out of his break, you know, it was just proof that the offense was lacking and would rue the day that they traded him and all that. But, hey, I mean, he did what I knew he would do. He was great in the beginning of the season when the cold weather hit. Where was he? You know, so, and that was my point, was let's see how he does at the end of the year. If he does well, I was wrong. He didn't do well. A lot of people were wrong. Anyway, he turns 29 years old on Saturday. Well, that's such a hard thing to forecast as far as you know, how you're going to perform throughout the season. But if ever there was a team to be trying to value you know, what you can do in a postseason-type situation, it's this Cowboys team. I mean, they've fallen short for so many years in a row. We don't need to say you know, what the streak is at. We're not going back that far or anything like that. But just in recent terms, they've fallen short so many times. They haven't had the right you know, type of player or mix of players to go further in the postseason. And now there's so many jobs lying on the line. There's, you know, potential out for the entire Dyke Prescott, Mike McCarthy era right on the horizon if this team doesn't get there. So, yeah, if ever a team's to be valuing, like, well, do we think you can get it done in the postseason or not? It really should be this Cowboys team trying to go win. Well, you have so many good players on rookie contracts as well. I mean, Parsons on a rookie contract is a gift. Trayvon Diggs as well. And what they're going to do with CDIM. So, if ever a team was trying to push to win and find the right players that can actually help them do that late in the season, in the cold or whatever have you, you know, think about Philadelphia in December, any of these games that you're really going to need, you know, those types of players that can be the alpha type player, it's this Cowboys team. And, you know, they felt like Cooper wasn't going to be that. And at times they were proven right, at times they were proven wrong. But I'm sure we're in store for another year of, you know, every time he makes a uh, play for the Browns or in store for, that filling up our Twitter timelines of, oh, fifth round pick, fifth round pick. But yeah, you were right. And many others were right about how he would kind of fade throughout the season. And 
that's not something this Cowboys team is currently, currently looking for, of course. And you are right to listen to the Hidden Yardage podcast. He's Sean Martin. Follow him on Twitter. Sean Martin NFL, Mark Lane, at the real Mark Lane on Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So there it is. Yeah.